Welcome to the Wadsworth Public Library podcast. This episode is the sixth and final in a series covering the history, stories, landmarks, and traditions of Wadsworth, Ohio. This live recorded presentation is of local historian Roger Havens as he walks us through the book Wadsworth Heritage by Eleanor Shapiro. If this is your first time listening, be sure to check out the previous episodes in this series as the class moves chronologically through history and builds off the previous subjects. So yeah, this is the last in the series of six. This then we should be out of here at 7.30 only because the very back of the book is more modern times, which I'm sure you lived through it. And it's mostly pictures, so you can read and see it on your own. Okay, um, so I do go from the book, and those that have books, you, you can follow along. But then I have a few visuals up here. We left off, evidently, or close to, uh, after talking about the, the schools, and I said it gets so convoluted, you really have to read it on your own. Uh, the one-room schoolhouses out in the country, there were 10 of them, 10 districts. There were actually 12 districts, but they only had 10 schoolhouses. And when they closed, or the state told them they had to close down and they had to centralize into one school, that's what Isham, prior to Isham, that building became the centralized school. So even if you just lived, uh, if you lived out at uh, Western Star, just east of town. Okay. Yeah, eventually when they closed that one-room schoolhouse, those students had to go where Isham School is. So they passed by the downtown school to get to their country school because West Street was the border and anything outside of West Street was out in the country. So when you say 10 districts, like what would be the parameters of those districts? Well, that was kind of the way that uh, they divided up the Western Reserve land, so the counties, all the counties were divided into 12 sections. Wayne County divided into 12 sections. Medina County. And then the sections were then divided up into to sections. So Wadsworth Township was divided into 12 sections. And they kind of started numbering there at Western Star. And it kind of went uh, Southern Township and then around um, Greenwich Road and then up the, the county, up to the north, and then it zigzagged across the whole township. I mean, we have old atlases over in the Historical Society. They're this big. And you go to Wadsworth Township, and you'll see the different sections. You have to look closely. But then when you read about the schools in those sections, some of them will say that they merged with another section next door and just had one school to supply those two sections. I don't know what determined that, but a couple of them did that. I know, I think the one um, close to River Sticks, there were two sections combined up there. So anyway, like I say, it gets so complicated. This picture and here to the left is the, the college. That was the original Mennonite College. It was added on with a dorm and a tower. And the dorms, of course, then the students could stay at the college when it was a normal college. And normal means it was a college for teachers to learn how to be teachers. And then when they closed down, that's when the township ended up with this whole structure. And eventually they turned it in to the centralized school. 
the stone across the front entrance to Isham School said Wadsworth Township School. And it did not become Isham. Well, this building did not become Isham because it eventually got taken down. And then the modern looking Isham, which turned old and they tore it down. But if you went to this centralized school that turned into Isham School, like you said you did or your mom did or somebody. So it was called the Central or Wadsworth Township School, but they kept saying because they centralized all those one-room schoolhouses, it got the nickname of being centralized, which adds to the confusion because the downtown school was Central School. So when people are talking, uh, older people, they get into arguments because they're talking about two different places, but they're using the same name. <laughs> That's why I say it gets real kind of convoluted there for a while in the history. Hopefully we have it sorted out for a while. So you can see all the uh, buses, the wagons, and the horses. And all these are students pretty much from first grade through uh, ninth grade. And they didn't have 10, 11th, and 12th grade at, Central, or at the township school. They were given permission to come to the, the one downtown to graduate with their own age group people. And then 1957, when they finally uh, absorbed that school into well, becoming a city school, which there was a threat, and I didn't know this, but Dr. Carino told me that there was a threat that all these township schools were going to be, at one point, placed at Cloverleaf because that's why Cloverleaf is so huge. They took in like all the township schools all through the county, it seems like. So Cloverleaf Schools is the largest school district uh, land-wise of any school in Ohio. But Wadsworth almost got sucked into that. So that Vernon Isham, who's the superintendent of the centralized school, he didn't want that to happen. He wanted it to fuse to Wadsworth, so he kind of fought City Hall. Actually, it would have been the state government, and got it so that it could go to Wadsworth City Schools, and he won. So his victory was he was going to, you know, continue to run, run that school uh, as part of the city schools, and then he died before it opened. So they named it after him, Vernon. Isham, our Isham school. So he never got to run his Isham school at all, but his untimely death, and I think I mentioned this before, you know, he wasn't that old, but, but he and his wife had this one child, this one daughter, who was handicapped from day one of birth, was bedridden all her life, not sure what it was. She died in 1957 and then he died shortly after. So it could be that typical, or what people say, people who die of a broken heart because they had taken care of that little girl, and I think she was 14 years old when she died, and I think he was just beside himself and just couldn't live without her. So anyway, the whole reason I didn't want to spend much time on the schools because, you know, and that's just one school. All right, so, uh, the last we left off in the book, if you have a copy of the book, is page 290. And this starts getting into the late 50s, maybe the 1950s, 1960s history. And again, I don't go through this book 
word for word or page by page. I kind of flip through it. So the one building I find of interest is the building that's located right across from the Historical Society, the house, which is now owned by Corwin, uh, the accountant, but at one time was Fixler's agency. And so this, this old house, and that house uh, must have been built in the early 1900s because I see that house existing next to the carriage shop, which was located to the left of it, where the car wash is today. And uh, so it's pictured in there. So, But he remodeled it in 1953 and took it over and put his insurance office in there. And today, uh, Corwin, well, uh, Mr. Fixler died, um, what, a year ago or so. And so part of the deal with Corwin is he wanted to sell Corwin his apartments down on Mill Street. And Corwin agreed to buy, buy the apartments from him. And he said, oh, by the way, and when you're buying those, you're going to buy this, this structure off of me too. And he said, well, I don't want that structure. And he said, well, then you're not going to get the apartments. <laughs> So that sounds like Mr. Fixler. And uh, so uh, what Corwin did is he had it all pretty modernized. It was getting pretty shabby. And look how beautiful that is now. So uh, that was a plus doing that. Maybe he knew uh, he would do that. And of course, he was instrumental too in giving Grace Lutheran Church two doors down. Um, a little over a million dollars to fix up the church in his will. Okay, so... Actually, Roger. Yes. Some of that money was to pay off debt that the church had incurred when they put the addition on Yeah, the fellowship hall. And I think he always told them to don't worry about that debt for the fellowship hall. But they got enough money to fix it up inside because the plaster was coming down. The roof, of course, leaked. So, anyway... Another thing that went on in, uh, and this again is on page 291, it talked about the Larson building being built. Well, that's that kind of, I call it more of a lean-to up against Ann's Bakery. It's always been like a real estate or an insurance place or maybe even a tax place. Not much of a building, all glass. And that was uh, Elmer Larson had, had that built for his um, uh, insurance agency. Then Whitaker Realty Office was in there. Uh, Medina Travel Service was in it, blah, blah, blah. So that was 1960. Oh, and Ann's Bakery, by the way, that, that building was there for many, many years before Ann took it over. But she started in 1959. So right now, that's probably the oldest business downtown still, at least under the same name. It's been through, you know, several owners. So anyway, that's kind of cool to see those type of businesses. It's, and Bixler's across the street would have been another one. I mean, it was way old. It was uh, 1917, maybe, until it closed. Well, Bixler's moved throughout downtown Wadsworth. There's the building on College Street that still has the name up there, saying Bixler Electric, and then it has the date in it. But then they were on Main Street, they were on Broad Street, they were that business gets the record for moving around the most in downtown Wadsworth. Roger, where were they on Broad Street? Uh, I believe they were uh, right across the street here where Wolf's Jewelers was. Well, you know what? I'm wrong. That was Curtis Electric. It's where the pizza place, it's where the pizza place 
Well, um, Curtis Electric was across the street. It was right next to the um, barbershop or whatever, all those, you know, that's, and the jewelry, Wolf Jewelry was over there. So maybe I'm wrong on the, scratch the Broad Street, but I know that they were at four different locations. Well, again, they were down there at Central. Yeah, with uh, that, that white house that they built that extension onto, that white house was on my paper out, so I had to go to the back of the house and go up this, go in there and toss the, the newspaper up to the top floor. And I made it most of the time. Sometimes I missed it, and of course, I hoped that it rolled back down, and sometimes it just landed on the step before, and I had to trudge up those steps. Because, you know, in these buildings, these old steps are like at a 45-degree angle. <laughs> okay, um, down at the bottom of page uh, 291, it, they call it the Booker Butcher Building or the Booker Building. I'm not sure the pronunciation. But that's the building. Actually, it's next to the library going up North Lyman. Uh, in its day, it was Daniel Daniel's Blossom Shop. And that was a laundromat, I believe. It talks about it. Al's um, Beauty Bar. Not sure what they drank there, but... Is that the one on the right-hand side? It's just behind this building. Yeah, so Al's, A-H-L, you know. Mm -hmm. So it was a beauty saloon. But anyway, so that was in it until the telephone company took it over a long time ago, and it's been that ever since. Now it's Frontier. Uh, so that was built in 1955. Now, before that, what was on the property right before it was the Parmley House. And the Parmley House was moved when they put the golf station in, which was here at the corner. So a lot of things got shifted around, and I, I mentioned before where there was a house across the street that then got moved farther down South Lyman and flipped looking towards South Lyman, and that was the old Eagles they built that brick part on the front of that house. It was a majestic house, but then that's when they built, um, well, where Pizzazio's is today. Yes, sir. Yeah, um, probably is, uh, yeah, that's my brother-in-law. George's family is the one, and his dad was a police officer. Yeah, yeah, that house was also on my paper out as a kid, <laughs> and I never really got to go inside the house. They paid monthly. I can tell you everything about that. But I do remember stepping in the front door one time and they had like a split staircase. It's like you went up both sides. Yeah, and I met up at the top. But again, that house was used to set facing Broad Street. And that was on part of the prop. Well, this was the property of the Brown family that started kind of the first library out of their log cabin. Blah, blah, blah. And eventually, ironically, the Ella Everhart or the house that she bought was located here. And she turned it, turned that into a library. Wow. Yeah, I get way out in the woods there. So page 292 talks about Northern Ohio Telephone Company being in that Booker building. And I didn't realize, but it was not until 1957 until you could actually dial long distance from your home. I don't go back that far. We take kids through the museum. It's hard enough to explain to them how to use a rotary dial. They're sticking their fingers in there and wondering where the little beep is. 
And then when you show them, they go, oh, this is so fun. I said, it's fun unless you're in a hurry and your hands are sweaty and there's a zero in the phone number and you're twisting around and you lose it and you have to start all over again. <laughs> Those were the day. Or you pick up the phone and the party across the street is on your line. Okay, then across the street over there where Van's um, tire shop is, that was the uh, Sohio gas station. That was built in 1960, um, and the Strand reopened in 1963. So again, we're getting into the 1960s, and that's when, um, what's his name, Gary Grivey bought it, and it, was it had closed for like two years, and then he had it remodeled and reopened it in 1963. Until he finally, well, during the other transition, when Everybody jumped ship downtown. They moved out to the north end uh, to live happily ever after. So, you know, the new theater, Great Oaks Theater, was built up there. McDonald's was built up there. Red Barn was built up there. You know, you can't have it any better than that for a weekend. And then the uh, on page 293, it says College Street. So they talk about the businesses that were there uh, where Sonnets is today along that strip and business utilities used to be there. I'd forgotten. I mean, they were there. They were another one that moved around. They were on Main Street, kind of the last building before he got to the Chinese restaurant. And then they, they moved. I, I don't they know. They were on college first. They were on college. Then they moved down on Main. Then they moved over at the corner of college again on High Street. And that's the last that I remember them existing. So yeah, they moved three times, it's amazing. Uh, there was Phillips uh, Studio Music there where Sonnets in that area, the AMP was there, Sonnets was part of that, and Laundromat, and um, oh, now if you went down over the hill, you had Holmesbrook Lumber, and uh, there was a paint shop down there too, down at the corner of Kyle and College. Where Kimmel is today, up front there used to be that Laundromat, that set out right there at the entrance to the cemetery on the left-hand side. And they hauled that down and built, uh, well, it was an auto parts store there for a while. And then Kimmel built his building in the back. But also in that same location, going back to pioneer days, there was a planing mill there that uh, took advantage of the stream that goes through the cemetery and goes under there by Holmesbrook, or the old Holmesbrook lumber yard. So there was a planing mill there that uh, took the logs and made them into boards. And then it talks about the Ladrick building. Down here at the corner was the Ladrick building. It was actually, when it was built, it was called the Huntsberger building. So one of the Huntsburgers out of the Mennonite uh, family that came out here that started the Mennonite church, um, they were instrumental in building that block. So all these different sections of buildings had their own names to them based on who built them. And over the years, some of them have changed names. And so I guess really the names represented who owned the building at the time. If they remodeled it, the new guy put his name in it. So that's how it gets a little bit convoluted too. So you'll see, you know, the Huntsberger block and people say, I've never heard of that. Well, everybody knew it as the Huntsberger block until <laughs> it seems like Ladricks took over. And then it was always the Ladrick building. Quick, quick question. Did I, in your earlier um, speeches, 
did you talk about the bowling alley being upstairs and uh, of the Myers building yes okay well so no and again the Myers building is the one that uh, I'm facing right now on the corner of high and college uh, where Dave Cordes was where Bixler's was and uh, and the hardware was there the Hoagland's hardware and then up above Hoagland's hardware and above Bixler's was the old bowling alley and it was called Cheney's bowling alley I think it had four lanes possibly I remember going in there as a little kid but I really didn't pay much attention on how things worked but yeah, they were actual pin setters that sat up on the ledge and jumped down and pulled the pins away and rolled the ball back to you. And of course, there was a bar right next to it. And when you had those guys having a little bit too much, those 16, 17, 18 year olds that were clearing out the pins sometimes had to get hazard pay because these guys wouldn't know that they hadn't jumped down yet to clear them out. They're turning around talking to their buddies, sipping a beer, and turn back around. And they pitch the ball, and the kid just jumps down. And <laughs> wow. So, um, but then talking about that, and I think it comes up in a little bit. So, when the big bowling alley was built out here at the west end of town, uh, the Colony Lanes, that was built by uh, Dr. Klotz, who was a doctor here in town and probably some of his buddies went together. They were capitalizing on the end of World War II and people are gonna come back, they're gonna start having kids, they need some kind of recreation. So he built that bowling alley at the top floor and downstairs was a skate skating rink. So it was all wooden floor, it had the neon lights going in the ceilings and you rented your skates there and did that and of course then they served food so it was, you know, kind of a youth center of its day. And then downstairs became the VFW? Well, the whole thing. Then at one point, he sold the whole building. Uh, I think it was in the 50s. Sold the whole thing to the VFW because back then, of course, you had all those World War II vets coming back. So these, uh, the Legion and the VFW were huge. They had thousand, over 1,000 members, a couple of thousand members. So it was a big deal. And so when the VFW got that, they, helped, they brought in big bands during the big band era and played up on stage. They built kind of a makeshift stage up there. And all the couples would come in and they're dancing away and they would pack the place. And that's a huge place. Now where was that? I missed that. Out the colony. That was in the basement. They had the dance, well, they converted the skating rink. Oh, okay. AC field, yeah. So yes, that was um, that was back in the day. And the one time uh, before he passed a few years ago, Clarence Ruck, he was one of the oldest members. And I said, Clarence, I read where the VFW paid off that building in full within two years. And I said, what was the key to to paying that off? Did people donate money? He just shook his head. And he put his hand in the air and he pulled down a one-armed bandit sign because they allowed gambling back then. So they had the slot machines and he said that brought in all the money they needed. <laughs> well, and then, you know, the state government put a kibosh to that 
It was the same thing with the Legion. They used to run the downtown carnivals over right behind the Legion in that parking lot. Well, that wasn't a lot to that parking lot because you had H.J. Hall Trucking Company there. But they also utilized the front of Central School and they set up um, rides and things like that. But they had gambling. It was all gambling, you know, games of chance. Let's put them that way. Um, yeah, just like they have today inside the place, you can snap those things trying to win money. But back then, they just sold it right out, and it was legal. But then the state, again, put a kibosh on it. Now they allow them to do legalized gambling, and the agreement when you have those types of things, you have to donate all the money you make from it to a nonprofit organization. So they can't keep any of that gambling money. Yeah, but it does attract the people to come in, which they use the money off of the drink and that sort of thing. Um, but the rest of it, and I know that American Legion gives out, it's an enormous amount of money every year that they collect and redistribute. Almost, I, I, I'm thinking $100,000. And they give to the Historical Society. They give it out um, to sports places. You just have to ask for it. If it's a legitimate cause and it's a 501c3. And I believe Clarence put his house up when the VFW had some issues. Okay. Well, they had some issues down at the old VFW. Mm -hmm. And uh, and that happened, I think, in the 70s, early 80s. Fortunately, my dad wasn't the commander. He was the commander in the 60s. So you can't blame him. <laughs> But that's what you find in some of these organizations like that where there's a lot of cash being paid and uh, there was a certain family down that were volunteered their services down there that was taking off the top. So they lost the colony, they had to sell it. And then, uh, yeah, Clarence Ruck put up some money and they bought that, that, that craft plate, that house there in front of Central that's now the um, craft place to make... Um, yeah, so they bought that house just to have a place to meet. And yeah, one of the members put up his house, you know, put a second mortgage on it in order to have enough money to do that. Well, they got back up on their feet and then they were finally able to get um, by where they're at now, right next to Domino's. So yeah, quite a history there. Here, I thought we were gonna be out by 7.30 and you guys are holding me. <laughs> Uh, yeah, there's just uh, so much, but there's a lot here in the end that I'm going to skip over because it's just biographies of people. Um, and I mentioned earlier about, um, well, on page 294, it starts talking about the development at the north end of Wadsworth, what I call across the uh, 76. But actually, the first place was before that uh, Dutch Pantry. I'm sure a lot of you went there. Uh, so that was up there. But interesting enough, there was a big controversy in downtown Wadsworth. And that is over by, well, where Mosaic Church is today, where Ben Franklin used to be there, and the hardware, Holmesbrook Hardware used to be there. There were two houses there, looked like big Victorian houses. One of them was a regular house. Dr. Kreider, a veterinarian, lived in that house, and his shed was out back because he... Um, worked with large animals, so people brought their sick cows in or sick goats or horses or whatever 
So he was that type of large animal veterinarian. And then next door was um, the Kreider Hotel. That's what they called it originally. So it was built, called the Kreider Hotel, obviously built by the Kreider family. It was a wooden structure, and the first one burned down. But because it was a popular hotel as such, or an inn, they rebuilt it, and they rebuilt it in brick, just so it, they wouldn't have those issues again. So then it was called the Park Hotel, and that's what you guys would know it as. And uh, so the Park Hotel kind of stayed in the family and ran its life. But yeah, I think on their registration, which I, I want to get a hold of that book, it did not burn up in the fire. And they had, I think Warren Harding stayed there. There were a couple of presidents that uh, stayed there. Right where the Mosaic Church is, substation. Well, anyway, so those two houses somehow went up for sale, and there were rumors that there was a fast food restaurant going to buy that those two houses and build whatever it was going to be built and then have a drive-through to pick up, just like they were doing over in Barberton at the time. And the merchants down here went nuts. And most of them were on console. So uh, they came up with a little-known law that indicated that, oh, sorry, a restaurant can't go in there if it has a drive-through window because we won't allow a drive-through to come out onto High Street. And, of course, the old Masonic Temple was still there. So those two houses were, you know, if you took them down, you have obstacles on both sides. So they came up with that to avoid that. And then suddenly the Red Barn popped up at the north end. So they think it was the red, either the Red Barn or McDonald's was the one that was inquiring about that. So they managed to keep them out from this area, but it sent them up the road that then started that domino effect of all these other things going. <laughs> so I think they solved one problem, but maybe created another because now the businesses or the people wanting to do their business started going to the north end where things like that were more convenient. Let's see. Oh, the First National Bank, which is now Huntington Bank over here, that was built in 1958. And that one again, that one moved around town. You know, the bookshelf over there was the First National Bank. And also the old, um, uh, the pink building over there, Three Roses. That was, that was the first national bank, but it had a bad fire. And so they rebuilt, they took one of the old storefronts down there by um, Abrams or Carolyn's Cupboard or wherever you want to call it. And they tore that building out completely and then rebuilt everything in stone. So uh, that's why you'll see the stone front there because they wanted to make it fireproof. So they had to prove to their uh, people to stick with the bank because now they have a fireproof bank to house their money. And then, of course, they built the, um, the one that's now uh, Huntington. So that's the date on that of 1958. And um, so the guy that was president of that First National Bank, by the way, he had a house built up on Far Avenue. So you probably know it as the old uh, Maserick, Dr. Maserick's house, Michael Day Enterprise. He's, he's currently living in it. 
but uh, it sets back off the road, so you really can't see it unless you drive back in there, but it's a beautiful Tudor-style house, similar to the one up there next to Old Overlook School. So his name was William Artman Kane. So that family seemed to have money. Um, his family that was in Wadsworth for the longest time. And the Citizens Bank down there at the corner, I don't think we need to go back into that history. On page 296, it talks about H.J. Hall buying the newspapers here in town. And again, the newspaper was printed just across the street here, right next to where the Park Cafe used to be on the left side, the Napa building that was all blue. And someday it's supposed to turn into an Italian restaurant, but I'm still waiting on that one. <laughs> but they have kind of that antique craft place there in the back, which is really nice. So, boy, how they turned that building into something because being a print shop with all the ink and then, of course, that became part of the Napa. And, you know, they worked in a lot of grease and oil. And <laughs> but evidently they cleaned it up pretty good. Uh, so I'm going to skip page 296, all about the uh, newspaper, 297, 298. 298 gets into all the doctors in town. Oh, I'm going to catch up on my pictures. Here's that Buker building there on North Lyman. So it's Frontier. On the back side of it is the, the newest uh, mural that was painted there. When you go to the Huntington drive through windows, you'll see that one with the... Uh, cardinal and that sort of thing it looked a lot nicer of course when it was new up here by the way is the knights at columbus hall to help you put it in perspective so here's the strand theater after gravy took it over and so-called fixed it up it probably needed it and about two pages back it talked about um franco's pizza the place we went when we were teenagers after the football games. Mm -hmm. So they moved into town in the early 1960s and opened up their pizzeria. Uh, next door here would have been the, um, I was going to say Alton Hartzell, but it's two doors down. And then I just talked about the First National Bank. Looks a lot like Huntington, doesn't it? Yeah. So that's how it looked originally. And now we're talking about doctors. I just selected a couple of random doctors. I think Dr. Pease, who is here, he may have delivered me. I don't know. And he probably doesn't know. I was just a, well, I was probably just another pretty face in the crowd. There is Dr. Zwick. And poor Dr. Zwick. He had such a great reputation until his later years. Uh, he was a World War II doctor. And you can see he's dressed in his Army uniform. And when he came back and settled down there in the South End, he was the company doctor, the injector in the match. So anybody that got their arm caught in a machine and had it ripped off, they would haul him next door and, or up the street to the uh, horse barn or the hospital. Um, that's Dr. Klotz. Yeah, and he had an interesting background. Um, I think he was a good doctor, and uh, but... He also was in with businessmen in town. They're the ones that built the towers down here on Main Street when you pass the Chinese restaurant and start going down. And there was a big controversy about those. And then 
He was involved with the airport. That was a big controversy at the time. So he seemed to be embedded in a lot of controversies. But I think he was a good doctor. Um, that's Dr. Strimple. Some of you may have had him as a dentist. And there is there's Dr. Myra. And then uh, that's her house back there, now a museum. So I just randomly picked out some of these names. So over the next pages, 298, 299, talks about Zwick, 300, continues with Zwick and where he served in World War II. Then Klotz, Dr. Klotz, there on bottom of 301. I don't know much about Dr. John Gregory Martin, um, but it said that he moved into Dr. Biggs's former office and Dr. Biggs' house is the brick house next to the parking lot here on Lyman Street and the one on Broad. So it's a brick house. So Dr. Biggs was in there for a while. And then um, this Dr. Martin evidently bought the house and the office, etc. Then up here next to that Buker building is a house before you get to the Knights of Columbus. And that one housed Dr. Uh, McGrew, Dr. Wallace, and Grover. Yeah, those three. They were on my paper route, that's how I know. <laughs> that was my paper route going up uh, Lyman Street as well as the downtown area. And the Zitto family, uh, our brothers, they had the doctor's office and dentist's office next to each other on uh, North Pardee Street where that youth group is now, that teenage hangout. So that, I went into door number one on the left, that was the dentist. I accidentally went through door number two, not knowing that that was kind of a duplex thing. And oh, they wanted to take my heartbeat and everything else, and I just wanted to get a checkup for my teeth. Oh, oh. Yeah, I was a teenager, what do you? <laughs> so page 302 talks about McGrew. I did graduate with his son who, he was killed in a motorcycle accident. And Dr. Parker and Myra Johnson, if you want to read all about Myra, it's at the bottom of 303. Uh, Dr. Wallace is on the next page. Dr. Gertrude Warner, uh, Merle Nafziger is on 305. Grover and the Pappuses and the Lycus and the Reticus. They were all from Greece, so I think they were all came over together and landed in Wadsworth. And more Pappuses, and uh, there were more Pappuses than you could shake a stick at. And then there was this Dr. Sophia, I never heard of her, but that almost looks like, a, yeah, it does say that um, her middle, well, it's probably her maiden name, Papatonio. So she was from Greece, too. And Dennis, it goes on about them, page after page after page. Dr. Strimple is mentioned there. I graduated with his daughter. Dr. Croyle, I graduated with his son, who plays the organ or something professionally over in England just now. I just heard of somebody that went over and visited. Oh, that Bob Stroud that uh, was here the other week, he said his, uh, he knew somebody went over to visit him. Dr. Everhard, and that's a name that you probably have heard before. And Martha Everhard, of course, was his wife. I graduated with her son. What year did you graduate? I'm not telling. <laughs> oh, I'm sure it was after me. 
Yeah, it's 74. That's a great year, wasn't it? Oh. 71 was better. That's not what I heard. No. I had a brother that graduated in 68 and the one in 70 and me in 74. Uh, Dr. Gordon, great guy, uh, dentist. He did a lot of volunteer work with the schools. Then popping on, again, all these different names, and if you're into names and people, then you're in the right place. Their names at least appear in the index here of the book for a quick reference, because most of the stuff in here, unless you know where it's at, you can't find it. Then it gets into the attorneys at the time. Wayne Garver on page 314. You got Carl Schantz. He had his office next to the Citizens Bank over here on Main Street. I graduated with his son. Louis Wilson uh, there at the bottom. His son went to school with one of my brothers. Uh, Bob Razor on page 316. Um, and I think his wife just passed away. I had her as a teacher over at CIS. Maggie Razor, maybe some of you had her as a um, social studies teacher. She's the one who got uh, very angry with us in a fun way, but not so fun way. Our classroom was on, I think, the second floor. Maybe it was the third floor over at CIS. It was a junior high back then. And um, we had the big windows at the back of the classroom. And all you'd hear back there are the pigeons. And that was fine. I mean, we dealt with the, the, the rolling tongue of these pigeons. What she couldn't stand is when we all turned around because they started making some loud, pretty... Um, they decided to do their breeding on that windowsill in the back of the room. And it drove her nuts. And she'd say, nobody turns, <laughs> quit looking back there. <laughs> so, yeah, she probably made it more interesting than what it really was. But, uh, oh, my gosh. But, yeah, Wadsworth used to have a horrible pigeon problem back in the 60s, especially. And, in fact, I asked Joe Ertle, whose wife's back there, what happened to these pigeons? Because they were horrible, and they would defecate all over the Grace Lutheran Church, on top of the Masonic Temple, up to First Christian Church, and the Trinity Church up the street. It was thick with these gray pigeons. And you'd leave church, and it was a miracle if you got from point A to point B without having droppings on you. But evidently, they put some tainted corn out for them. Not them particularly, but the city because it was such a bad problem. And that stuff, especially all these open uh, bell towers, and the Grace Lutheran used to have open bell towers in those towers, um, and the Trinity has them. And anyway, so the pigeons would be up there and they would defecate down into the tower and just piles of the stuff. So. And ironically, it, when the first pioneers came to Wadsworth, pigeons were their worst enemies. And they were the passenger pigeons. And there were literally thousands, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of them in the Wadsworth area. And what they would do is during the day, they would go down to the Holmesbrook region of Wadsworth and feed off the trees because there were so many nut trees there. 
So they'd get their bellies full there, and then before it got dark, they flew over to the Copley swamps, and they roosted up in those uh, trees there in the swamps. And they were just devastating to the farmers because in the fall when the corn got ripe, and just at the right time, these birds would all flock in, and they would decimate the field of corn, like in one day, or the grain that just, you know, that's ready for picking, it's all dry, they're gonna go out and start cutting it, and these pigeons would just come in and just take care of the entire thing. So they had to mass execute these pigeons, and what they would do is they would attract them into their fields, they would capture one bird and tie its legs together, and then throw it out there in the field, and it's flapping, you know, trying to get out of the, the entanglement. And that would attract the other ones because they thought it was feeding down there. And so they would land, and they had this rigging of these huge nets that they had like on catapults. So when they were all down there chewing, chewing up the seed, they would cut those, those uh, catapults it would shoot that net over and come down and land over top of all of them, or at least hundreds of them, and then they'd just go through with a club and club them to death. Well, they'd take out what they wanted to eat, but, but they did that over and over and over. So it's similar to, you know, the story of the, the Hinkley hunt, because they had to get rid of all these wild animals that were either uh, killing off their livestock or injuring their crops. So... And we had our own kind of great Hinkley hunt down in Bear Swamp. And it was the same thing. They took all these hunters slash farmers and they kind of surrounded the Bear Swamp area of Wadsworth River Sticks and uh, all started coming forward to kill whatever animals they could entrap in their big circle. Theirs wasn't near like the one up at Hink Hinkley, but they still in one day, you know, Got several dozen deer, a couple of bear, foxes. I don't know if there was any wolves or not, but uh, I'd just be afraid because in that swamp was also rattlesnakes, yellow rattlesnakes. That those were bad around here too, and those could, you know, obviously bite you and you could die from it just from the infection, not the poison necessarily, but the infection from the bite. So they were a big hazard as well as wolves. And that's why they named Wolf Creek the way it is, because the first pioneers could hear those wolves the first night they camped here during the night, and they were trudging up along that creek. They found their paths that they would head one direction, I think, at night, and then by morning they would head back up that trail. James Foreman, there on the top of 317, I'm going to point him out. Of course, he was a lawyer in town, but it was his son, Mike Foreman, that went up in the shuttle. So on page 317, you'll see Michael's name listed down at the bottom. He graduated, I think, in 75 or 76. He was close to my age. Uh, I think his mom, Nancy, is still alive, isn't she? Oh, she just passed away. Okay. I know she was a couple of years ago. Uh, Richard Dickey, unique name. They'd call him Dick. Dick Dickey. And he said, I don't stutter either. Um, real nice guy. I had both his children when I taught. 
And in fact, one of them was cremated and his ashes are over buried behind St. Mark's Church. And his, um, his son, Doug, and his, Doug's sister is coming into town next month because she has her mom's or her dad's ashes. He moved out there to be with her. And uh, so I don't know what they're going to do with all these ashes <laughs> if she's just going to sprinkle some there because they were devout members of the St. Mark's Church when it was here. Okay, next page, uh, 318. Oh, one statistic I found in there at the top of the page. In 1964, the population of Wadsworth, we had the second largest population in Medina County in 1964. That's when this book was written in 64. <clears throat> I think initially we had the largest population before Medina started to grow. And that's kind of, this goes back in history where people in Wadsworth thought because we were settled first that we should be the county seat. Well, that doesn't always work when you're in the very corner of the the uh, county. But once they got designated as county seat, then their population exploded because of all the jobs that that entails. So people still seem to think that's why Wadsworth and Medina aren't that close in working together. We always have a tendency to work closer with Akron and Norton and Barberton I mean, obviously, we're closer to them miles-wise, but um, just like the United Way, we always, Wadsworth always belonged to the Summit County United Way, not the Medina County United Way. So it was like we always wanted to keep separate, and they think it goes all the way back to people still holding a grudge about that um, controversy. <clears throat> because, you know, the, the head Medina County judge at the time was Aaron Pardee, who just lived there across from St. Mark's in a house. So a lot of the some a lot of the government services were run by people from Wadsworth. But it ended up that's where it landed and that's the way it is. Okay, so I'm skipping um, 318, 319. It just talks about municipal type things. Um, page 321, if you want to read a little of the history of the fire department, or at least, again, the way this book is, it keeps repeating. This is like the third thing on the fire department, <clears throat> but they just bring you up to date. So the year before this book was written is when that fire station was built just up the street here, the one that's going to be closed, and now I don't know what they're going to do with it. That's always the question. <clears throat> but just to put it in historic terms, that was built in 1963. And in fact, they took down at least one house, maybe two. Well, now over the years, they've taken down at least two houses. That's why when I had a paper out up Lyman Street, I kept losing customers. It's not like I lost them, but their houses got torn down. The First Christian Church tore down all the houses uh, there along um, that Boyer, from Boyer North, they wiped out, and Ream Court, I think it may have one house left on it now. It had several houses back then. And then the fire department kept hauling down houses, and so, yeah, I was just in a um, position that I had to give it up and say, I need to go to college and get a real job. 
I can't do a paper route all my life. <clears throat> so uh, again, I just wanted to point out the date on that. And then oh, it talks about the hospital, the Wadsworth, the old hospital, of course. We talked about that in another thing. But now moving into the new era, uh, on page 323, it talks about the proposed new Wadsworth-Ritman Area Hospital. So again, putting it in perspective, they started as that study in 1962. And then it says down there at the bottom, page 324, the last, uh, almost last paragraph, in November 1963, the Hospital Association purchased 37-acre farm from Rolland and Thalma Kuntz, located uh, where it is today. And uh, the Kuntz family was related to the Abel family and the Turner family, and they all kind of lived along that, that old 57 where the three-way stop is and the going in the hospital the back way. I call that old 57. It's a diagonal road. It's Medina Road. And they're the ones that, as far as the Turner family that was related to them, they're the ones that had what we know of as the only authenticated uh, underground railroad in Wadsworth. So it was in that farmhouse. And in fact, you can't get there from the stop sign. You have to go out on New 57 and pass the gas station. And before you get to Blake Road, it's on the left-hand side uh, or the west side. Um, that's where the, yeah, the house is still there. Uh, one of the owners about eight years ago hauled down the barn. <clears throat> but I think they were kept in the house. You know, I'm sure we had other houses in Wadsworth that were part of the Underground Railroad. But, you know, you, it was so secret, you didn't want it to get out to anybody, including your kids. Now, the only ones that started giving it up, I think it was uh, Mrs. Kuntz. And it was her grandmother that related the story. Well, you know, slavery was long gone by the time she relayed the story. But that's where you had to get them. It was like the second generation away. Because if you were caught with uh, slaves, you would have been arrested, fined, and imprisoned for helping slaves. Uh, Wadsworth Memorial Park on 325. I gave you a little bit of history on it. But the Ohio Match donated that property right after World War II or in 1944, and uh, the land, well, they donated it to both the, um, the city for a memorial park and also to the schools for the football field to continue to expand. And, uh, and it was the uh, Lions Club that kind of stepped forward and helped, do it because I think it was barren land at the time. It was just open field. So they planted all the trees and put the, the original pavilion in. And uh, <clears throat> they did all the improvements and planted all those magnolia trees, like I said before, that they were put in there to um, commemorate. And here's a picture of it again. This was just taken this year, about a month ago. But those were uh, planted in the late 1940s, and they planted one tree for every soldier that from Wadsworth that died during World War II and the Korean War. And they're listed there on that plaque. So if you're doing the walk around the pond, 
uh, mind the geese stuff. But if you get out top of the hill, you'll see several um, veterans plaques. And I think one of the plaques is the Vietnam War uh, casualties. Then you have this that's both World War II and the Korean. Anyway, so it makes for a beautiful memorial walk close to Memorial Day. All right, let me, whoops. Yeah, there's just a few things I put in. Oh, this is about the time where the airport was coming in. So 1954 is when the Wadsworth Airport went in. That one, again, you'll have to read on your own. It will tell you, that's on page 327. It'll tell you how the whole controversy started. It started with the city, I think, allowing them to, <clears throat> to put a dirt uh, landing strip out on this property that the city owned and leasing it as such for like two years. Well, then they started putting more and more money into it, this organization. And then the city couldn't back out and the city wanted to back out on that because that land was owned to the city because that's where the treatment plant is for the um, water. And so I think it got kind of out of hand and, uh, oh, it was a five-year lease. But anyway, you can read the history of it on your own. And I'm sure you'll, uh, yeah, you'll see Klotz's name, Dan Weltson, Weltzing. And Dan Weltzing's the one that started Sky Park up on Greenwich Road up on top of the hill. Oh, Joe Klosterman was in the mix. Um, so again, he was a local um, photographer for the Wadsworth. Uh, news banner. John Puglisi. Some of you may recognize that name. All right, so next page, page 328, Don Merriman. So Don Merriman eventually became the mayor of Wadsworth. <clears throat> and back in those days, usually the mayors were, were business owners here in downtown. So Merriman had his Merriman store uh, on College Street. It, it's been hauled down. But uh, that's where you could buy your eight-track tapes and then cassette tapes, and then, well, and records, of course, before then. So that was the place downtown to go. He, I think, uh, dealt with all Zenith products. Jack Summer, there's a familiar name to some. He was the big uh, car dealer, car agency, uh, here on Broad Street, out by the Blue Sky. Let's see, I'm skipping the court system. Oh, the Wadsworth court system started in 1957. So where we became that area court location that um, McIlvain presides over and now that Mrs. Lewis, Sue Lewis or whoever just got newly elected. Um, page 331, oh, Holmesbrook Park. I just noted on there the Holmesbrook Park entrance, that house that is in horrible shape at the entrance. That's where Judge Ott lived and in fact, Judge Ott, who was the judge for this, this uh, Wadsworth court location, used to hold court in that house until they finally built him a courthouse. <laughs> so that's kind of creepy to see that house like that. Ella M. Everhard Public Library talked about how that started out as a house here downtown, Victorian-looking thing that um, a dentist had his office in, just like Myra Johnson had her office in the Johnson house. Uh, these doctors of the old days, they usually had a room downstairs where you entered the building and their office was part of their house. Uh, 
So, um, Zwick was the same way. Yeah, uh, just a lot of them. That Dr. Biggs over here, and then of course, we talked about the um, McGrew and Grover and Wallace. That was a house, except I don't think any of them lived there. I'm not sure. Somebody could have lived upstairs. So they hauled this house down that used to set here, and that's when they built the first brick modern looking library, and they named it after Ella Everhard, who had, don who had bought the, the old house, donated it to the city, and they made a library out of it. So they continued on in 1957 when they built the modern looking library, which has since been torn down and regenerated and regenerated into what we have today. And <clears throat> now they no longer call it Ella M. Everhard Library. I guess it's so far removed from there that uh, they decided to keep her name out of it. Um, then they talk about the Recreation Center there at the bottom of page 333, the old Masonic, the original Masonic Temple that was converted over here at the corner of High and King Street. And that's because they went bankrupt during the Depression. No, the banks couldn't sell the building, so they ended up donating it to the city of Wadsworth. And that became the Center for Older Adults when the Steiner Center was built. And it talks about bookmobile service. That doesn't interest me. The history of the Knights of Columbus on page 335. And um, so if you're interested in that, the <clears throat> that building started out originally as a Church of the Nazarene. And then they sold it to the uh, Knights of Columbus in 1957. And the Nazarene people moved out there at the North End. Um, Wadsworth Junior Chamber of Commerce, that, the nickname for that were the JCs. And the JCs used to run what we now call the Blue Tip Festival. They called it Wadsworth Week. And so again, they were like the youngest members of the uh, Chamber of Commerce. And so they had this subgroup, and they kind of took over when the Legion gave that up because the, they weren't allowed to gamble anymore. And so they picked it up, and they ran it. And some of the guys, I think, like Dwight Powers and Bob DeLong, a couple of those guys were part of that organization, and they helped transfer it into the Blue Tip Festival. And uh, Dwight's still active in doing it, and I think Bob throws his hat in every once in a while. Okay, then we get to a bunch of pictures. That's an aerial shot there of the square. Uh, College Street would be in the foreground or at the bottom. And then Broad Street would be there where um, East Park is through the center. Um, at that time, 1964, there was no gazebo in that park. So the gazebo didn't get built until 1976. Unless you've been around a long time, back in the 50s they had a a stone gazebo. Actually, it wasn't a stone gazebo. It was a stone um, bandstand. Before we had a gazebo there, it was always a bandstand. But they've shrunk that park down so much they can't put a bandstand there. It's, they're too big. So they put you know, a gazebo that you would typically put in your backyard, they put it down here. And when people freak out about it ever leaving, I mean, the promise is that they're gonna replace it somewhere with a bandstand so you can actually put a band up on it and people can sit and watch. Because when we had the concerts downtown, 
you couldn't fit more than three players up there if you had like a five person band or like the um the alumni band they have to play in front of it because they all can't fit up there unless they're poking themselves with the sticks and the instruments elbowing you know uh the next page this is the highland heights allotment so if you look kind of towards the center of that picture you'll see a circle and that circle is there if you drive up cross akron road on highland avenue and you get to that circle and the reason that circle is there that's eh, a roundabout you know everybody complained about oh my gosh i don't know how to use a roundabout did you ever drive up highland <laughs> they have a roundabout or up to sharon center but that was the old farm um i mean that was obviously farmland every place was farmland and there was a pond located there so they filled in the pond and they didn't build a road over it they just encircled it so now you know why highland heights and heights just means it's north of akron road anything south of it is the lower highland from broad street to akron road but once you cross there now you're in the heights and that was the exclusive neighborhood when i was growing up and there all the kids went to valley view school which is pic pictured on the next page and so when valley view was built in 1958 it was part of the hall farm or at least when they started lotting it out and uh, they allowed them to build that um pretty much right next to the pond that used to be there and so there's a lot of fill dirt in and around that school Westview, Westgate, that's the off the Treese Road area pictured there. The next page is, that's kind of a neat aerial shot of the injector and the match company all in one. And so that street in the very foreground would be South Lyman. And then down through the center of the picture would be Main Street. Then you got the match company. And... Mill Street would be up to the far right, or, or are you saying Mills Street? Because Mill Street is right across from Central. Mills Street is down off of Grandview before you get onto State Street. Mill Road, <laughs> we have like four mills in town. So it's, and somewhere along the line, there was a bridge street that went from Main Street over to South Lyman. And what I, where I think it was located is almost off of um, Garfield and it went straight across before the injector added more to their building. But there is no picture of that anywhere that I can find. And all I can do is look on the old maps, and of course, it's just line drawings. And it gets confusing because, of course, the uh, injector wasn't that, that long. You know, the original, well, you can see the different sections of it that was added on over the years. But I asked Dr. Carino, why did they even have a bridge street? There was n you couldn't fish off of it. It was all dirt underneath it. And he said, because south lyman during heavy rains down here at the bottom of the hill it would rain so much and yeah flood that the employees couldn't get across it so they had a bridge street but he never saw it i don't think he ever saw it 
And so you can't tell me exactly where it was located. And the reason being that if you run a line from Garfield or look at an aerial shot, it almost looks like it would land at the very bottom of the hill unless it caught it going up on Park Street is all I can figure. But at one time when the circus came to town, they unloaded the animals downtown uh, off the trains down the south end and they were having the actual circus over here where the post office is. That was a grove area that they had celebrations. Uh, it's the closest thing to the downtown. But anyway, back in that area, kind of behind the Methodist Church and behind the, that was called the Grove. And so in some of the history books, you'll hear them say, well, they had their, their gathering at the Grove, especially the first uh, in 1875 or 1874 when they had the Pioneer Reunion. And they kept saying about how they met at the Grove. It took me the longest time to figure out the Grove was right over here. And in fact, at one point, it was called the Lucas Grove. And of course, Lucas Court is down at the bottom of the hill. But anyway, they brought the elephants up Main Street, and they went to go across the Bridge Street, and the elephants refused to go across it. So they were stomping and stomping, and finally they, they had to bring them all the way up to the downtown and circle back because of the stubborn elephants. But where exactly it is, it was, I don't know. But it does look like it kind of followed Garfield if Garfield would have crossed over. And you know, uh, and I think I mentioned this before, back when the pioneers came here and settled Wadsworth, you know, the train looked completely different because we've graded everything down. But it was an actual cliff from downtown to get to the south end of town. And so the original pioneers had to put ladders on the, on the hillside, on the injector hill, to be able to climb up that hillside. And uh, eventually they graded it down so then they could get horse and wagon up and down it. And then of course, the, when automobiles, they graded it even lower. Same thing down by the cemetery coming up into town. Uh, they have graded that down. You can tell by the houses because they have all those big banks in front of them. And that's because they lowered the street because when this was the main highway, some of those trucks couldn't get up the hill. So, Valley View School, 1958, down at the bottom, Westgate, uh, next page. Yeah, the injector, the barefoot sole, there's the, um, there's the layout of that Goldstein and whoever Stein um, that's still there today at the end of First Street. And there you'll see a water tower almost to the top on the right-hand side. So that particular building that that water tower is next to, that was the XL Rubber Company from back in the 1920s, the original, what started all those um, other buildings. And that's where Ross Trump had his um, tire building place. And when everything went south for him, and he's the one that uh, lives in the big, the Schaefer Mansion up the street here on High Street, the long colonial house across from the <coughs> children's hospital or whatever they call it now. Okay, I used to just call it the medical center. So, um, so that, that mansion across the street. And, uh, so he, that was where his rubber company was. All right, the civic center there on the next page, that was the old Masonic temple and eventually turned in the older adults place. 
There's the old city building. That particular city hall, that was the second one built. The original was built back around 1870. So they milked that one out for a long time and then they built this one back in I think the late four, oh, 1939. And then of course, then they built our newest one. But it's funny how these city halls, they've all moved like a building over. So they're all within 50 yards of each other, just in a different location. They always just built next to it until that one, uh, and then tore down the one next to it. Kind of the way they did Lincoln School, building next to it, and then tearing down the old building, and now it's the playground. Uh, back in 1964, Central was called uh, Central Junior High. It would have had grades seven, eight, and nine. And I think my class was the first time we thought we were gonna be the big kids at the junior high. And then we went to go into ninth grade and they moved it up to the high school. So then we, we were the young kids again. We never got to be the old, oldsters until it was time to graduate. So anyway, Central, the original part was built in 1907. And then Aisha Memorial School, of course, that had many additions over the, the years. And um, the original part there in the center was built in 1923. And then it actually became the name of Aisham School in 1957. Uh, guys, on the next page, uh, I'll show Jim Foreman again. He was the father of Mike Michael. On the right-hand side, it shows uh, the police chief at the time. Um, Chief Lonier, and then one of the old-fashioned marshals of town, T.J. Lucas. He also became uh, Wadsworth mayor. Next page shows Wayne and Don Young. So Wayne Young is the one that took over the injector. He lived in that Cotswold house down by the Methodist Church, the one that got hauled down, had the fancy roof on it. So he built pretty much next to his dad and his dad's house is where the Methodist Church is today. And then Don Young built the mansion up next to Old Overlook School, and he was given the match company to run after Dad passed away. And down at the bottom, Lincoln's Old Lincoln School built in 1915. It was originally built as a four-room school, and you can see the uh, chimney on the far left-hand side of the building. That pretty much shows where the second half of Lincoln School was built. The original four rooms were the four rooms facing the street. Then a few years later, they added four more rooms, so they just doubled its size, so they made it fatter. And then later, they put the uh, north section on with the cafeteria and all that good stuff. Um, next page shows, let me see if I have any pictures up here, by the way. I put these, oh, this shows um, the library in 1957. This is the one I went to as a kid. And there's the golf station. And of course, it was ta eventually taken out. And that Parmley house started there and then they moved it to behind the library. So anyway, that's the way it looked. It was kind of neat looking uh, in its day a nice uh, library. I always liked the balcony up there that you went up the steps and you could look down on uh, everybody down below, except that's when you had to be absolutely quiet. 
you move your shoe and it made the scoot sound. Oh my gosh, those librarians would be on you like a pit bull on a poodle. Yeah, you couldn't make any sound. So that's changed. So on this next page, it shows a picture of Mrs. Eleanor Shapiro, says Wadsworth historian. She's such a historian, she's the one that wrote the book, this book that you're reading. So she's down there at the bottom left-hand corner. Again, I'm not going over all these people. Um, they probably didn't know me, and I didn't know them. So uh, the Wadsworth Senior High School, when it was brand new, 1960, is pictured in a very poor picture. First Christian Church, it started out as the Disciple Church. The front part of the church, except for that little extension uh, at the very front, the original is where the cupola is, or the bell tower, and that was built in 1842, and that's where James A. Garfield preached at one time. Oh, there's Bob Ott, or Robert Ott, down there at the bottom of that page. He's the one that <laughs> ran the court out of his house down by Holmesbrook. Overlook School, built in 1954, Franklin. It started out as a four-room schoolhouse, identical to Lincoln School. And then they added on the back part to make it an eight-room schoolhouse. Then eventually they added that over by uh, Pine Street, and that had the gymnasium, the cafeteria, and the rest, some extra restrooms. Glenn Brenneman on uh, the next page, he was the famous Brenneman drugstore Brenneman guy that had the soda fountain. That's what I think most people remember it as. But it was a pharmacy as well as just um, stationery and things like that you'd find like it in a CVS. My older sister worked there. She's still around? No. Oh, okay. I worked there too. Are you still around? <laughs> Did you make uh, some of those famous sodas? Sure. Did you make phosphates there? I always went to Smith Dairy for phosphates. Yeah. Um, the original post office down there pictured um, the one that's still standing over here. 1937 it was built. Then the next page shows the newest Masonic temple. It was on H.J. Hall Farm there on High Street. He was a Masonic himself. First Methodist Church, that was a site. Well, originally, the first pioneers had a tannery business there because the creek that now goes under East Street, so you don't see it, but it comes down through Sacred Heart. You don't see it at Sacred Heart either because they enclosed it. It's the one that starts up at uh, Durling Park where it is open, and uh, then it meanders down. It actually goes under the injector and ends up at the south end of town um, where the stores are down there. And eventually goes to Ripman and from there to Chippewa Creek and from there to Tusky River, from there to the Ohio River. So follow the route. Um, so it was a tannery. It was first started by Levi Blakesley, and he was the foster son of Owen Brown. So Owen Brown, as if he didn't have enough of his own kids, he took in foster kids and taught him the tannery business. He also taught the tannery business, that Owen Brown taught the tannery business to Jesse Grant, Ulysses S. Grant's father. So, yeah. And then, of course, Owen Brown lived up in Hudson, where he raised his family. And his most famous child is John Brown, the abolitionist. 
that uh, did the raid on Harper's Ferry and ended up getting in big, deep doo-doo that he couldn't get out of, and they did did him in, uh, hanged him, and a lot of his sons were involved in that. And it's interesting because I was talking to a group of people the other day. Oh, we had um, Overlook School do their tour and cemetery tour. And of course, their parents are probably late 20s, early 30s. And I was telling them about Owen Brown, who donated the property, the original property for the cemetery. And I said, and his son was John Brown. Well, they just looked at me like I had a third eyeball. And I said, do any of you know, I'll give you a hint, Civil War, still looking at me. Abolitionist, I don't think they even knew what abolitionist meant. And I said, oh, well, forget about it. But yeah, it, it's like, uh, again, and I taught about John Brown when I taught fifth grade in United States history. But these people just looked at me like, <gasps> So I know what not to bring up tomorrow when I do, uh, I think it's Valley Views doing their tour tomorrow. I won't even mention Owen Brown. Okay, so on the next page shows uh, Frank Close. He had a business on Watrusa called Close Locker. And maybe Marla, you'd remember this. Isn't there a um, scholarship thing in his name that's given out every year by the Board of Education? I know there's a young, there's a young memorial, but I think this Frank Close, because he was a former superintendent, he left money too for scholarships. Do you know John Brown? Do you know John Brown? Do you know John Brown? Okay, I'm trying to bail you out, but I think, yeah. And maybe it ran out and I just haven't been caught up on the news. Uh, you know, eventually those monies do run out except for that young one that uh, when they put in their will, they said only give out X amount every year. Well, because of the interest, it's like worth a billion dollars and they can't give out any more than, wow. yeah, and there's no family members around to um, get it corrected. So it's drowning in its own interest. So um, that's Frank Close. Miss Nellie Harder, she was the lady that uh, she worked at the local newspaper and she ended up buying that. So the first kind of woman owner of a business in town. And then she got on the board of, I think the Citizens Bank over there when it reopened. So she made history in Wadsworth and it was her house they took down to build the um, fire station on North Lyman. She had eyed up that house her entire life because it was her boss who owned it. So after he passed away, she bought it. And then after she passed away, the city somehow got a hold of it and turned it into a fire station. Um, there's the Wadsworth, the, the original Wadsworth Hospital. It was the old horse barn um, for the Ohio Match Company, converted to apartments and then turned over to the city of Wadsworth in 1921. Next page, the Ohio Injector Office. This is the one that the McIlvain, well, McIlvain used to be in, Jim, and uh, I don't know what all lawyers are in there now, but that was built in the 1940s. Yeah, Morris used to be in there too. Is he? It's, yeah. Uh, his wife, he's with the city. 
Tom Morse. He uh, took uh, Norman Bragg's job oh, oh, when he retired. Uh, the Wadsworth Foundry, it is completely gone. It's at the end of Auble Street. So if you're one of those people who drop off your recyclables, um, those bins are right along where this foundry used to be. And one of the owners of that was Mr. Gehring. And a new guy bought it. And I don't know what he's putting there. But I mean, it closed when? Oh, gosh. I don't know. I didn't even put the date down. Uh, if you see Mrs. Gehring, ask her because her, her father-in-law owned it at one point and that passed down to her husband and, you know, and she, she volunteers there at the museum. Uh, First National Bank again, that's the same picture I put up. The Trendy Church, Sacred Heart Church, the next page, Sacred Heart School, uh, the new fire station. And again, I noted on my side that was Nellie Harder's home at that spot. And then the um, First Church of the Nazarene. Again, they started out the KFC, the Knights of Columbus building there on Lyman. Memorial Park Shelter. Uh, next page. That one, I don't know, is number two or maybe number three. Uh, it caught fire a few times, maybe. But um, then it shows, I put that marker up there for you to see on my, but this is shortly after they started developing the park and planting those trees. So you can see the trees going down through there. And the first midnight church out on Treese Road, they built that in 1959. So they left St. Mark's Church, that's where they were, and went down there and then St. Mark's moved in 1959. And there's the library like I showed you up on the screen. Uh, there's Daniel Gehring, the president of the foundry on the next page. And uh, Huntsberger, I mentioned the Huntsberger block. I remember seeing Dick Huntsberger as a little kid walking downtown. And my mom would always say, or dad say, there's the oldest guy in Wadsworth. He's walking downtown. And then I would say, isn't smoking cigars bad for you? <laughs> Shut up and stay in the back seat. But um, yeah, he smoked cigars his entire life. Now his house, gosh, I think he lived in that Dr. Biggs house. I think that was the Huntsberger house. Now his son, Willard, who taught at the high school, he lived in the house next to the museum or, you know, you have the driveway, the drive-through stuff, and then the yellow house, or no, what color is it now? Yeah, they repainted it. And they have a sign out front that says the Huntsberger house. So that would have been his son that lived there. Yes? I, I forget where all living creatures are, that road. Yeah. All small North Street. Yeah. 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 All right, well, what about it? Well, anyway, that foot on that road knows that log cabin. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's still there. So from what I understand, this guy thought he was buying himself a gold mine. Bought that house. has the log cabin. It used to be a, what's-her-name's, antique shop. I can't think of their names. But they had antiques back in the log cabin and that barn shed type thing. They hauled that log cabin up from like Guernsey County. So it was built down there and they bought it and they took it apart and rebuilt it here in Wadsworth. So the log cabin's not a Wadsworth log cabin. It's neat, but it's one from down south. So what year would that would have been? Do you kind of know? When they brought it to Wadsworth? Oh gosh. 
well, I was still at Lincoln School, 70s or 80s, yeah, maybe into the 80s. So is it, is anybody living in it? Or no, no, this guy bought that property on speculation because he thought, oh, I can get this cheap enough. I'm going to flip it because I know the trendy church is going to want that for more parking or maybe even st stretching it a little bit down to First Christian Church because it's all parking back in there. And no, that didn't happen. So the house is rotting away as this guy's going to make all this money off of it. And he needs to either fish or cut bait. He needs to figure out what he's going to do with it. But ironically, if you don't turn there off a of high street and you keep going to the, the medical center, the old medical center, that house next to the medical center on the north, it's kind of up on a hill. That we think is a log cabin that's just covered with, uh, so that one has always been there. On the north side? On the north side, there's a small house there. It's always covered with shrubbery. It's a rental property. Uh -huh. The only way to enter the driveway is to go, and I, I guess that would be North Street. You have to pull into North Street and go in from the back. Oh. They don't have a driveway onto High Street. So it's, so it's north of the medical center? Yep, so right next to it. If those people look out their bathroom window, they're looking at the roof of that medical center is what I think. But you can tell by the shape of it because it's a smaller house and it just has like aluminum siding over top. So, you know, our other log cabin ended up in Greenleaf Park and it was located out on Bonita Road. And uh, when these people discovered there was a log cabin under the siding. Uh, they kept it for a while and then they kind of put it out. They wanted to build a new house or something and they wanted to use that property. So they offered it up to whoever wanted to get it. And the Medina County Historical Society snatched it up and took it from Wadsworth down to Greenleaf Park. And now I'm watching it right away. I mean, stop there sometime. If you, it's on County Line, the intersection of County Line Road and 162. And there's soccer fields there, but back kind of in a little wooded area. You'll see it, and they have a plaque on it indicating why it's there and where it came from. But then you look at the roof, which is a shing um, cedar shingles on it, and they're all covered with moss, which means the moss is eating down into the wood. It's rotting just like a log would do out in the woods. But anyway, it's sad, and some of the timbers, you know, are rotting away. So they need to do something, and they never open it. I don't think it's ever been open. They just did it more of, you know, for the visual from the outside, but I have never heard of it ever having an open house. So, which leads me to believe there's nothing in there but a dirt floor probably, which doesn't help that wood either. Um, but I have, and we call it the hard log cabin because the family name was hard, H-A-R-D and they're buried in the old section there in the cemetery. In fact, it's in that brochure, uh, the cemetery brochure I put out. So some of you probably know uh, some of the hard descendants. Um, Dr. Bernard, his wife, Gladys Bernard, she was part of the hard family, and Claire Jo Crumley, she was also, so if you know those names, they're descendants of that hard family. There's probably others. Those are the two that I know the most. Uh, Wadsworth Footlighters, those, that was a 
actors guild that we have in Wadsworth made of adults, not of kids. I think kids could probably join in on some of the plays, but they did performances. I know they had to go at least through the 60s, maybe into the 70s, and then they eventually got older and disbanded or whatever happened to them. Uh, next page. Oh, were they? Yeah. So they could have even gone into the 80s. Yeah, they may have gone into the 80s. Yeah. But they put on pretty much the same plays that the high schoolers do nowadays. But they still did the high school plays back in those days. So the next page, 338, talks about the Women's Club of Wadsworth. Is that still in existence? The women? Yeah. Okay. So that was started in 1958, according to this article. Uh, the Hospital Auxiliary started in 1959. The Welcome Wagon, do they even have a Welcome Wagon anymore? It's when people are new to town, they move in, and they end up giving you a basket of a bunch of stuff that hopefully you could use. Um, but that started in 1950. I know when I bought my first house in Wadsworth, somebody dropped off a basket and there wasn't a bomb in it, so I assumed it was the Welcome Wagon. Uh, Rawika Country Club. So the history behind it, because it only has, what, about nine or eight years left in its life, then the um, National Cemetery is going to take it over. 1958. And, of course, the reason I wanted to identify this uh, on Rawika Road is because of what Rawika means. When I first moved out to Rawiga Road, I would be out plowing out in my land and rototilling, and I would come across arrowheads. First time in my life, I found an arrowhead there. And I said, oh, it must be one of the Rawiga Indians. Well, found out that's not what Rawiga is. It's not the name of an Indian tribe. Does anybody know what it means? It actually tells you on page 341, if you skim down through there, but I'm not going, oh no, down at the very bottom. It says a coined name, Rawiga, Ritman, and Wadsworth, Incorporated, Golf Association, R-A-W-I-G-A, Rawiga, no Rawiga Indians. And basically that was, Rawiga Road was a lane, a, long, a very long lane originally from uh, Greenwich Road down to the golf course. It was just a dirt, dirt lane that. Now, wait a minute, there was Ripman Indians. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, we talked about that earlier about the Native Americans. They didn't really live in the Wadsworth area. Most of the ones that roamed this area lived out at Chippewa Lake and they came here as their hunting grounds. Uh, because that was huge out there along the lake. You know, they had the lake, they had the fish. Yeah, well, and with the rivers, the connection of the rivers helped. The Holmesbrook, it used to be a lot bigger than what it is today. So they could float down the canoes, they could go down to Chippewa Creek, from Chippewa Creek go to Doylestown. So it was really highly connected, but because the way that we have diverted water and that sort of thing, so Holmes Brook is no longer a brook most of the time. It's a tiny creek. 
but it would have been passable with a canoe back in its day. So, if nothing else that you learned today, you know what Rawiga stands for. Um, so again, they have to be out within 10 years, and I think because of the, the National Cemetery, and so I think we're down to nine years. Um, down at the bottom of the page uh, 342, Bethany Friends, uh, that's out on Route 57, the church there if you want to read about it. Uh, Jehovah Witness, you know, we had a Jehovah Witness church in the city of Wadsworth. It was on Main Street, going up like you're going to Franklin School, you come across Tackus Drive that goes back to Franklin. If you continue about two houses more on the, the east side, they had tucked a church in there. And I'd forgotten all about it. I remember when it was a church. Now it's a house, so it kind of blends in. Actually, now I think it's a halfway house. Yeah, they're for recovering drug addicts and things like that. So. Is that new, that recovery house? Yeah. Uh, within the last couple of years, you know, when they were trying to figure out what to do with these people who are recovering, and it's always a controversy where to put it, they somehow snuck it in the the neighborhood. I don't think the neighbors were all too happy um, because there's a driveway that comes off a of tachus and goes to the back of it. Next page um, talks about the Main Street Baptist Church. That one was also... Uh, up close, I think, across from the um, Jehovah Witness Church. I think back there where those apartments are, they may have taken it down. Grace and Truth Tabernacle, that's the one close to the three-way stop on College Street. When you turn right, you'll see that church on the right-hand side. I don't know what it's called today. And the Church of Christ, that's the one on West Good Avenue down from Valley View School. That was in my old neighborhood, lived on Wolf Avenue. And if I cut through the yard, I remember them building, I th yeah, I remember them building a church. And I thought that was weird that they build it right in the neighborhood. But if you drive by it, that's one of those churches you probably never even knew existed there, but it's a nice looking church. So that's at 236 West Good Avenue. And uh, they bought the land in 1956, and they built it, or they opened the church in 1963. See, I'm dating myself. Uh, the Wadsworth Baptist Temple, that's the one out on Seville Road and Seville, I'm sorry, Treese Road and Seville intersection up there. They have the big neon sign, you can't miss it. And St. Mark's, of course, uh, it started in 1959, and then in December of 2022, it got bought by an individual. And I don't have a brochure done on it yet, but I was helping the guy out a little bit. It's now a rental property, which sounds kind of weird. But then again, I remember my niece rented a church over in Canton to get married. So the church, it was a beautiful church, but nobody really claims it. And so it's a rental so you go and you get the church experience and all the pictures in the church. And that's kind of what they're doing with the there. Now, they do have a church that meets there every Sunday morning, but they're renting it, renting the spot to hold their church service. But the fellowship hall is absolutely beautiful downstairs. If you wanted a party, I would say comfortably it would hold 60 people. The 
marker there from the fire department says it holds 70. I don't think I'd want 70 people in there, but 60. They have big round tables in there <coughs> that seat, um, they have 10 round tables that seat six people. So if you're thinking of that, there is a sign on the front of the building and also in the back, if you pull to the back and <coughs> jot down the number that you can call and inquire about what the rental charge, but I think you can get it cheapy, cheapy. And it's all modernized. So the outside, it was built again in eight, 1842. And this guy did not want to see it fall into the wrong hands and have somebody just tear it down. So he invested in it. And I think his long-term plan is, <laughs> if, if he had it his way, that the historical society would take it over someday and preserve it. His whole goal is to preserve it. But we'll have to see what, uh, if he could make a go of it of just, he, all he wants to do is break even during the year. Just enough to pay the electric bill, the gas bill, that sort of thing. So, and the church pays a significant amount of money, the one that's renting it right now. So most of the bills are paid just through their lease, but he still has to raise, I think, a couple of thousand more, which I don't think is gonna be a problem. Is it in the path of that, what's already been preserved through the, um, that the city just did? Right, the National Registry of Historic Places. Yeah, ironically, it's the only building right now that's on the National Historic Registry. And that was done, I don't know, 20 years ago or whatever. In fact, the guy just put a plaque on it today that mentions it because it, it was never mentioned. It was only word of mouth. So he got a plaque to put on there. But one, it's also will be part of the National Registry once they designate the whole downtown. So there'll be a double whammy. But, um, and who's this guy? His name is Chuck Rankin. He doesn't live in Wadsworth. He lives in Granger. Um, but he attended church there, he and his wife. And in fact, I think his wife is a preacher now too. I don't know. I don't get into all their, their history, but, uh, but he and another guy wanted to preserve it. And so they approached the, um, the Episcopalians because they had to buy it from a group out of Cleveland, the, the diocese. You know, once you're in a group of churches like that, it's not owned by an individual. Ironically, it was built as a Congregationalist church, and I always wondered what the difference between a Congregational church and a Presbyterian church, because the one guy who wrote his memoirs, he said he never heard it called a Congregational church. It was always the Presbyterian church. So I thought, well, I wonder what the difference is between the two. The only difference that I could see is that a Congregational church is an independent church owned by people the congregation. Whereas Presbyterian, you have to be in the Presbyter <laughs> or whatever they call it. Uh, you know, they're, they're group settings, just like probably all the other churches in town are, that you're not independent. So had that been independent, those people in the St. Mark's church could have sold it outright to, or just found a group of people to, but we're at the mercy of Cleveland and but they had like 200 churches they're trying to sell. So maybe it was a good time that they got a pretty good price for it. All right, Bethel Mennonite Church. Oh, Chestnut Street Baptist Church. That's the one uh, where Lincoln, or Lincoln Franklin School used to be on the same street. 
It was built by um, a local guy that owned a store there in the South End, uh, Pete Baxo. He has a whole story to himself, but um, he worked for the railroad track. He got injured. Uh, they wouldn't take him back. They finally took him back as a crossing guard. And one day he saved this little girl from being smashed by a train. And he received the Carnegie Medal of Honor with a stipend of several thousand dollars. This was back in 1912. And he took that money um, and he built a building down the South End and made his own grocery store. And I did skip out one little thing. He kind of got injured on the railroad. He nothing more than a sliver in his finger from one of the iron rails that he was carrying back in the early 1900s. Nobody knew about penicillin. It got infected. It went down his, through his wrist and started coming up his arm. They finally made the decision to cut his arm off before it would reach his, the, the blood poisoning would reach his heart. And then they wouldn't hire him back because he was a one-arm guy that they said, you're not no good for us. But then they found him a job being a crossing guard, and that's when he... So his bad news turned into good news and then turned into really good news. So it had a happy ending. Um, let's see, page 350 talks about the high church uh, and the first assembly of God on 351. Again, they keep repeating these things. Now, that first assembly of God was the one up there where the get-go gas station is now um, going back into the galaxy. And they took that church down. What's it called today? Um, I can't, I don't know what they, they rebuilt that church out in the country, but I can't remember the name. Somebody can tell me later. I'm getting too tired. Um, it does talk about the that first church of the Nazarene on page 353. And that building that they tore down was built in 1959. And then you got the first Mennonite church out on route, uh, out on Treese Road. And that church, yeah, that's the one that had the wooden structure out on Wadsworth Road. There where the cemetery still exists, and they moved into the St. Mark's Church or the White Church here in downtown, and then out to Treese Road. Again, I feel like I've gone over these things 300 times because it keeps repeating in this book. They just give you updates on what it is in that time period. And most of the things, you know, they may have added an addition. You know, you got a couple of new preachers here and there. Um, page 357 talks about the Jerusalem Lutheran Church. It's up on Acme Hill on Acme Road. So once you get to the top of the hill here on Greenwich and turn left, you'll see it. The Maple Hill Mennonite Church, that's at the corner of uh, Mennonite Road and Seville Road. That's the old-time Mennonites, all black cars. They dress in black and blue, all dark colors. Salvation Army talks about how they started in the South End and eventually moved up here on College Street. Then you got more about Sacred Heart. I don't know if I ever told you that the original Sacred Heart Church was built of wood in the same location that the brick one is today. And when they went to put the brick one in, they tore the original one down board by board. They were going to recycle this. And they rebuilt it as a house. And that house is across from Old Overlook School. It would be in the southwest corner of Durling. 
So they're at the stoplight, and you go to turn right to go down Durling. It's the one right there. Has the nice, they did a nice job of putting pave, paver brick down for their driveway. But that's the Sacred Heart Church recycled into a building. Yeah, so check it out someday. Um, they didn't put the bell tower up there. But kind of neat how they recycled these houses. The Trinity Church, that original wood structure, it was taken down board by board, and a large house was built over at the corner of Humboldt and uh, Boyer. Now it's uh, Durling Park's parking lot. And when he moved that, or didn't move it, but he rebuilt it, or these guys did, it was an apartment house, and they painted it orange. So everybody called it the Great Pumpkin House. Here again on page 362, it talks about the consolidation of the township and the city schools. 1957, the year of the death of Isham, uh, Vernon Isham. So then it talks more about the schools and OJ work, uh, auditorium. Talks about him on page 367 and why uh, they named a theater after him, unless he was named after the theater, I don't know. Now, it was named after him, and he was a famous educator. Okay, so I'm going to wrap this up on page, only because the new section of this wouldn't be new to anybody. I mean, it just talks about modern-day Wadsworth, at least up to 1998, which, gosh, I'm calling that still modern. I guess it would be. But it is interesting here at the end, um, well, it talks about that 100-year-old Huntsberger on page 370. Give you a little history of him. Um, at the time in 1964 when this book was written, he was born 100 years before that, so it was 1864. So he was born during the era of Abraham Lincoln. And then the Historians of Wadsworth, three, page 371, talks about George Lyman. Lyman Street, he just lived right here. That was his farm. Oh, and then this is the interesting one, page 372. I put a picture up here. So the first family to move into downtown Wadsworth before it was even the downtown, the first pioneer, built his log cabin pretty much where this library sits today. And uh, his name was Frederick Brown. His brother was that Owen Brown I talked about earlier. And Owen Brown, of course was the father of John Brown, the abolitionist. So on page, at the bottom of page 372, it, um, it says the Reverend Edward Brown. So he was the son of the settler from here. So his dad built the cabin here. And of course he was born. Oh shoot, where is it? Okay, I'm gonna skip a couple of pages to 375. He wrote a letter to his cousin so the Brown family that settled here, Frederick Brown, Judge Frederick Brown, this was one of his sons, and his name was Edward Brown, and he's the one that wrote the first history of Wadsworth in 1874. And that one you can find on eBay. Actually, we have a copy or two over at the uh, museum that uh, we had, that I think we have available for sale. They're hard to find. So he wrote a letter to John Brown 
after he did his, his thing down in West Virginia. So the dear cousin note. And um, so John Brown's sitting in his cell ready to be hanged. And so his cousin from Wadsworth just wrote him a letter. And he was a reverend, so he was like giving him his last rites. And he signed at the bottom, your affectionate cousin, Edward Brown. So he just pretty much says, I don't believe in, you know, what you did as far as injuring people, but I believe in your cause, and that's the abolishment of slavery. But basically, you went about it the wrong way, and now you have to pay the price. Okay, the next um, slide is, again, a picture of the author of this book, Eleanor Eiler, I-L-E-R Shapiro. And so I think it talks about her on these last pages and her background, which I'm sure it does before the split. Yeah, the very last, uh, page 380. So again, if you want to read about her history and who she was, again, she was a Wadsworth High School um, English teacher. So then I threw just a couple of slides in, and they... They do mention it in the very last section, but like I say, the last section is mostly pictures and just updates. But um, here's one you may recognize. I guess I didn't realize how bad Steiner Youth Center got on its look. So it was built in 1973, and Henry Steiner had a car dealership on Isham, where Isham School used to set. And in fact, his car dealership still exists there. It's called the maintenance building for the schools. So it sets out along College Street. And um, so he and his wife lived actually in the house on the west end of Isham School. And they had no children. So he made a lot of money. He didn't know where to put his money after he died. So what he wanted was a, oh gosh, what they call it? The... Uh, Boys, boys village. He went Wadsworth to build a boys village, and that's where his money was to go. Well, for whatever reason, that fell through. I don't think it'd be that that easy to build a boys village. I suppose it's supported through a bigger infrastructure. But anyway, so that fell through. So his money. Yeah, there's one in Worcester. And maybe that's what happened is that one that was built in the Smithville-Worcester border. Well, I don't know if it didn't work out or maybe that was the established place for it, but it wasn't Wadsworth. I don't know what it was, but his money then was hung up in the bank for many, many years. And nobody knew what to do. And with no kids and no relatives, they couldn't figure it out. So somehow, some way, the lawyers figured out that they could do, they could accomplish his goals and his goals basically were to furnish the underprivileged children of Wadsworth with something. So they managed to work this in where they tried to pass a bond issue and the citizens would pay 50% and they would match it with their funds to build a youth center to take place of the one downtown. So it was 50% of donated money, and, and the residents passed the, the bond issue. And so they were able to build that Steiner Youth Center, and of course named it after him. So all the poor kids in the, most of them in the South End at the time, they got 
you know, free passes, especially the swimming passes for the indoor and outdoor pool. And ironically, before we had that at one time, the YMCA kind of ran <laughs> things in Wadsworth. So here's another one where they were here for a while and then they left and then something else took over and then YMCA came back in. So I threw that up there um, and I think it does mention the history of that. I put in about the kaleidoscope playground because that's part of the park's plan that that will be eliminated. Now, I'm saying eliminated because they're going to rebuild it. Probably not in the same location because they want it to stay up while they're rebuilding the new one. And I think they're building the new one in Memorial Park. But this goes to show how long it's been there since 1995. But, you know, it was made out of treated wood and treated wood doesn't last forever. And I think, yeah, there was a fire there at one time and the, the, the splinters are bad. And the Wadsworth Ritman Hospital was built there in 1970. I mentioned that earlier. So I threw that on there. Oh, so City Hall, and here's the museum. But this City Hall was built in 1996. That's mentioned in here. And here's one that's not mentioned in any of them. I thought, oh my gosh, this was something that set a world record in Wadsworth and never made the history book. It's strange, but it happened. And you are there. So, um, back in the Depression era, and even coming out of the Depression era, people came up with all sorts of screwy things to do. You probably read them in your history book, where they would see how many kids they, they could stuff into a telephone booth, and how many into a Volkswagen, things like that. Well, they had these unusual events. Well, this one took place out at Clark's Corners. Clark's Corners is where Home Depot is, basically, right there where it takes the turn. So this guy, Bob Baum, he decided he was going to set a world, a flagpole sitting endurance record in 1946. So this was a little bit past the Depression, right after World War II. I guess he wanted to keep things excited, excited. So he set the world's record, 30 days and 30 minutes on top of that flagpole during the summer, during thunderstorms. I think at one time he got struck and it blew out the bottoms of his shoes sitting up on that pole. They would have to haul his food up to him. He slept there. I'm not going to go through all his bodily functions, but I'm telling you, there's some questions I have. But he did it, and it was here in little old Wadsworth. But I'm sure somebody, you know, and this was probably before the um, Guinness World Records were, was big and hot. So he just did it on his own, but this was right out there at the curve. So I'm done. This is six series, and this brings you... We hope you enjoyed this presentation and would like to thank you for listening. You can contact us or find more information on this topic, as well as many other resources, at wadsworthlibrary.com.